Happy Easter! Easter is a hugely important to Christian faith. Easter is everything to Christianity. Without Easter, Christmas is nothing but a myth. Without Easter, Good Friday is nothing but a bad, sad Friday. C.S. Lewis, a great Christian writer in England, once said, to preach Christianity meant primarily to preach the resurrection. The resurrection is a central theme in every Christian sermon reported in the act. The resurrection and its consequences were the gospel or good news which Christians brought. Apostle Paul also said in his first letter to Corinthians this way, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sin, and then those who also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. Let me uh, paraphrase it. If Easter is not a real historical event, Christian faith and life is a figment of imagination and a waste of time. Those martyrs, such as those characters in the movie The Mission, those martyrs for Christ died in vain. If we suffer this much in this life without hope of resurrection, we are the dumbest and the most sorry fools in the world. So if Easter is not true, you and I are wasting our precious time right now. On the other hand, if Easter is true, what we do now is not just right, but the most important. For today's Easter celebration, I want to share the Easter story from the Gospel of Mark. And before I begin, I must confess that our spring study on the Gospel of Mark has actually blessed me so much and changed my bias to the first Gospel. I underestimated the Mark uh, because back in the seminary, uh, those uh, in the intermediate Greek class, the first uh, New Testament book we translate and exegete was a Gospel of Mark because its Greek is so simple for beginners. So I had a bias. But now I know his simple Greek text has a serious and profound theology, and even his uh, uh, very simple style is so sophisticated and sexy, and meaning attractive. You know, when I meet John Mark in heaven, I'll apologize to him, and I, I want to thank him so much. And if I compare the Mark's account of Easter that we are about to read to a movie, it would be a masterpiece of a mystery thriller. It does not give a typical predictable happy ending, but a suspense, excitement, and discovery. It has so much. And I had a hard time to, to, to simplify, to make it you know, easy for us to you know, put on grip on it. Actually, it reminds me of a story that I heard about a pastor and uh, his son. Uh, Saturday evening, little Andy was watching his father, a pastor, write a sermon for Easter service. So Andy asked, how do you know what to say? And the father replied, well, God tells me. 
And Dandy, then Andy asked again, Oh, then why do you keep crossing things out? I was crossing some of my sermon notes for today because there are so much layers. But without further ado, let's read Mark chapter 15. Uh, 16, verse 1 to 8. Mark chapter 16, verse 1 to 8. When Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Mark does not show us risen Christ in his Easter story. Rather, he renders us the remarkable clues about the resurrection of Jesus. Mark wants his readers to discover the truth of Easter for themselves instead of declaring it to them directly. I think Mark is a master teacher. He's a clever, clever storyteller. So here this morning, I want to present the three pieces of evidence for the greatest mystery of God's love. They are empty tomb, angel's message, and then woman witnesses. Okay? So we will reflect on, we will, we will look into each one of these three evidence. Empty tomb, angel's message, and woman witnesses. The first evidence is uh, empty tomb. When three ladies went to anoint Jesus' body with some spices because he died way, way sooner than expected, and he was not properly buried, but rushed to a tomb. If you look at Mark chapter 15, verse 43, it said this, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, that means Sanhedrin, which condemned Jesus, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, he was secret disciple of Jesus, closet disciple, went boldly, to Pilate, it means he probably lost his political career after uh, today. Boldly, he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the century that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. Now you have to you have to remember you have to know this. Back then, many crucified didn't have a proper burial. Some of them, they left on the cross, so that the uh, the uh, the the scavenging you know birds come and they eat off of their food. 
and then many of their body, bodies were burned at the, our garbage dumpster. That's the final you know, humiliation uh, of uh, crucifixion. Now, verse, 40, uh, uh, verse 46. So Joseph brought some uh, uh, linen clothes. Oh, so when he learned from the centurion, it was so he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen clothes, took the body, wrapped it in the linen, placed it in the tomb, cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Now, when this woman arrived Sunday morning, the first day of the week for Jewish people, tomb was open and empty without the body of Jesus. What happened? Where did he go? Where was his body gone? What was the empty tomb mean? There are three major ancient views about the empty tomb of Jesus. The first, according to Jewish view, disciples of Jesus stole the body and fabricated the news of resurrection. I preached about that last year's Easter, and feel free to check our website, the sermon titled, Two Tales of Eyewitnesses. Uh, let's look at the Matthew 28 quickly. Matthew 28, verse 11. While women were on their way, some of the guards went into, this is after resurrection. After the, uh, some of the guards went into the uh, city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave elder, uh, soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you have to say, his disciples came during the night, stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. The soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And the result, the story has been widely circulated among Jews to this very day. Now, this view has uh, several flaws, among which a major contradiction is the stories of uh, surviving soldiers. In the Greco-Roman world, guards or soldiers who failed their duties, such as this kind of very important duties, were punished severely and often executed. So they could not and would not, uh, they could not and would not go around and tell people openly about, you know, uh, somebody else, I mean, about somebody, uh, the disciples stole the body because that means their direction of the duty. And actually, the, the uh, Jewish leader said, we will make sure that you will keep you out of trouble. You know, trouble means they, they could be executed for the direction of the duty. So it's, it's, it doesn't make sense. The second view is of Muslims, which deny the fact that Jesus was crucified. Since he was not crucified, the evidence of his empty tomb is a mute point. According to Quran, God or Allah did not allow his prophets to suffer or humiliated like a cross, crucifixion. So Jesus was taken to heaven right before the cross, and Allah tricked the crowd by making Judas or someone else look like Jesus and take his place. You know, Muslims view 
was interestingly very similar to the view of a docetics or a group of a Gnostics, the earliest Christian heretics. So Muslims' view is not original. The name docetic came from Greek verb dokeo, which means to look, to appear, to seem. Now, docetics, they construed the Bible with a Greek mindset, forgetting that Bible is, a, you know, is written by Jewish people with a Hebrew mindset. Greeks have a dualistic ethos where spiritual and visual reality is a superior to physical and visible, uh, I mean, I mean, I said the uh, spiritual and invisible reality is superior to physical and visible reality. It's called the Greek dualism. With that, Gnostics and Docetics, they deny the physical incarnation, full physical incarnation of God. And everything Jesus did was a look like or a, some kind of phantom uh, representation, not the real physical entity. Some Docetics actually believed that the one who was crucified looking like Jesus was a Pilate. This kind of idea was actually very common and prevalent in the Greek mythology and literature. For instance, do you remember the, the, uh, the story about the Troy, the conquest of a Troy? You know, the Helen, the most beautiful woman who caused all the trouble? Helen was a daughter of a Zeus and Leda. And uh, while the war was raising, Helen was uh, transported by Hermes to Egypt. And uh, there she stayed safely until the war is over. And uh, Paris, the, the, the prince, the, the, the guy who cost his, king, his, you know, his, his country for his uh, love affair, what he possessed is not real Helen, but uh, some kind of uh, empty delusion uh, made of some kind of heavenly ethos by Hera. That's what the you know, Greeks believed. Another example, Ovid's, according to Ovid's uh, book, Fasti, the goddess Vesta carried off Julius Caesar, her strong believer, to heavenly halls of Jupiter or Zeus right before his murder. So when assassin's uh, weapons stabbed him, it was only his uh, phantom. This is a very common idea in Greek mythology. And the Islamic or Muslims Christology or understanding of Christ seem to be a collection of a many pagan, confused idea of Jesus mixed with all you know, Greek, Greek, you know, Greek ideas of God circulating in the area. So now, let me present the third and Christian view Christians take the meaning of an empty tomb to be a concrete fact about Jesus' resurrection. Concrete fact of Jesus' resurrection. According to the Gospel of John, they thought his body was stolen. Look at the John chapter 20. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, 
They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. By the way, it makes me laugh to read this because John, old John, the writer, the other disciple who got there first, he's still bragging about, I beat the Peter. You know, I'm faster. You know, uh, I, you know, Bible is a full of humanity and humor. I, you know, yeah, I, I hope you catch that. Yeah. Okay, verse 5. He bent over, looked into the strips of linen, lying there, but he did not go in. So John did not go in. Then the Simon Peter, who came along, along behind him, went straight into the tomb. And what did he see? He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as clothes that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The clothes was lying in his place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And he saw and what? Believed. He saw and believed. Why he believed resurrection of Jesus in that empty you know, tomb? The first thing struck the mind of disciples was not just an empty tomb. It was empty grave clothes. Empty grave clothes, undisturbed in form and position. When they saw clothes wrapped around Jesus' head in place, meaning that it was not unwrapped. And uh, somehow, everything that, that covered Jesus' body is exactly the same, except his body was gone. It's like an empty cocoon after the butterfly left. This undisturbed, unchanged burial clothes. Convince them that Christ indeed risen and resurrection is a concrete fact. By the way, if a Jewish view was correct, you know what disciples stolen? The naked corpse of Jesus. Who would steal the naked corpse of a bloody, bloody crucified victim? Naked. Instead of taking it with a burial clothes. Now, which view seems most plausible to you? Let me give you one more historical information. Flavius Josephus was a first century Jewish historian who wrote a history of Jews for Romans. He tried to help Romans understand the Jews. And this is what he actually reported about the first Christian. This is a very important historical information one of the one of the objective outsiders uh, a report or description of early Christians in the one of the earliest you know historic uh, outsider Bible record. So look at the quote. Now there was about this time Jesus a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of a wonderful works, a teacher of such a man as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of Gentiles. He was the Christ. Simply means anointed. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal man among us, had condemned him to the cross. So again, you know, it's a fact. Josephus said a crucifixion is a fact. 
So Muslims' view is you know, disputed here. Denied here. Those who that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold this and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct at this day. The key sentence here, here the tribe of Christians are not extinct at this day. Meaning, Josephus and many Jews expected Christian movement to be done and gone by the time he wrote his book. That is, uh, toward the end of the first century. But Christians are still following and worshiping Jesus. Why? They took the empty tomb of Jesus to be concrete fact of a resurrection upon which their faith is based on. Now let's look at the second clue and evidence. That is an angel. Uh, for that, let's look at the verse 5. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Verse 6. Don't be alarmed, the angel said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. See again. See the old, uh, all the clothes in here. And But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. When three women entered into the tomb of Jesus, they saw not Jesus, but an angel. Now the angel makes an announcement about risen Christ and gives them a message to deliver to the disciple. And notice to whom angel commanded this woman to tell. Tell his disciples and Peter. His disciples and Peter. Why did the angel name Peter again after mentioning disciples? Wasn't Peter one of the disciples of Jesus? It's a redundant. Do you catch that? What angel was saying to woman here is that don't forget to get this message to Peter. Make sure that Peter knows that Jesus is risen and expect to meet him and everyone back in Galilee. This redundant and repeating message of an angel shows the second important meaning of a resurrection. That is, a resurrection of Jesus Christ means compassionate and considerate forgiveness of God. Compassionate and considerate forgiveness of God. Who among the disciples needed Jesus' forgiveness more than anyone? That's a Peter. That's a Simon Peter. Last Thursday, Daily Breast, our Passion Week devotion, we saw Peter's heart broke. Peter tried to love Jesus. And even after Jesus was arrested, he was a concern. So, while other disciples all fled, he followed Jesus all the way to the high priest's house, which is a very dangerous place to be. And then finally, a slave girl spotted him and uh, you know, his relationship and with Jesus and uh, was exposed. He denied Jesus three times. And there, P 
Peter discovered Jesus' prophecy about his denial came true. And Peter cried. His heart was broken. Peter never forget that nice experience for the rest of the night. Do you know that? How do we know that? Every time God wanted Peter's attention, God used the number three. Why number three? He denied Jesus three times. So for instance, when you look at the Acts chapter 10, when God called Peter to visit a, a Gentile, uh, Cornelius, Roman centurion, you know, God revealed this message to Peter. What time? 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Out of all 24 hours, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And God made uh, uh, Cornelius to send three messengers. I mean, he could have sent four, five, or two, one, three messengers to Peter. And God repeated the same dream, vision, three times. Why not just two times? Why three times? Peter can forget three. Three gives him a PTSD. And Jesus knew how much Peter was traumatized by his own failure. And resurrection of Jesus is not only concrete fact, but also compassionate forgiveness of God. We must know and clearly recognize that God doesn't just forgive us. God wants us to realize God forgave us so much and so sure that you and I can move on from whatever our life PTSD or relational PTSD. Later today, we will sing a dedication song, Glorious Day. I chose the song because of this, uh, first, uh, this stanza. The stanza said, I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb. Till I met you. Till I met you. You know, when I first heard the first distanza, two people came to my mind. Not just Peter, there's another one, Mark. Why Mark? Do you remember Mark chapter 14? Let me just quickly read Mark chapter 14, 51. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment, that was Mark, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked leaving his garment behind. Mark was the young man, according to a flat, naked, according to church tradition. He was the first tricker in the Bible. Where was a Mark? In the Easter story. Why do you think Mark described the angel as a young man in the empty tomb? We all know that the angels are spiritual beings and have no sexual genders. Then why did Mark describe the angel as a young man? The shameful young streaker became a glorious messenger of God like an angel. That's what Mark trying to convey. You know, uh, somebody, a commentator pointed out Mark was... Uh, clever, and he wrote a cryptic gospel. And, you know, earlier we read the Mark chapter 15, 46, that uh, Joseph brought the linen, some linen clothes and took the body of Christ, corpse of Christ, and wrapped it in the linen and placed it in the tomb cut out of the, uh, of the rock to Mark. 
he lost linen garment in chapter 14. The linen garment is a symbol of his cowardice and shame. And now the another linen was mentioned in chapter 15. And this linen went into the tomb with Jesus. Why didn't Mark just say that uh, 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 Joseph of Arimathea just wrapped Jesus' body with some clothes? Why does he have to mention linen twice? The linen in Gospel of Mark, in Passion Narrative, is a symbol of a shame. And that symbol of a shame was buried with Jesus. Mark's shame was buried with Jesus. And his glory was revealed as a young man looking like an angel. So Mark is saying, by grace of God, I was the shameful stripper. But later I met risen Christ. And with his love and forgiveness, I became a messenger of the gospel, even all the way to the Rome. This is my glory. My glory came from compassionate forgiveness of Jesus. So Easter makes ultimately every Good Friday experience permanently good. Think of everything you ever experienced that was painful. That's the meaning of Good Friday. Think of all the ways that love ultimately healed your heart. That is the meaning of Easter. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. To live as a Christian is to live as a forgiven and forgiver. Forgiven and forgiver. C.S. Lewis said in his uh, uh, the great uh, sermon, The Weight of Glory, he said, To be a Christian means to forgive inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. I pray and hope that we all make this Easter our new beginning to forgive ourselves and forgive others. We are compassionately forgiven forgivers. Amen? I hope we are all forgiven forgivers by the power of a resurrection and his compassionate forgiveness. Let me go to the last clue. Of a resurrection was a fearful woman who were the first witnesses of a resurrection of Jesus. Verse 8 says, Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out, fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Woman, women were the most unconventional witnesses at the time. In ancient patriarch, uh, patriarchal society, women were never used as witnesses, especially in the legal arena of life. You know, it's not only ancient people. We barely, you know, we just celebrate the 100, the centennial, you know, I mean, 100 years of women's voting right. Up until 1920, even modern world, we didn't recognize a woman's political, basic political right. So, thing is this. If I, 
As a Jewish people say, or some other people say, if an Easter story was fabricated, why did the conspirators overlook and neglect the most obvious point about the qualification or reliability of eyewitnesses? Why did they miss the basic fact that women were distrusted at the time and their words were discounted or even denied by men? They were never used as a legitimate witnesses any quote. Early Christians did not miss this obvious you know, legality about witnesses. Instead, what they found out was a testimony of this woman was true because Christ really risen and later met them and proved this woman's witness is true. You know, when fact is on your side, you don't have to worry much about the legal qualification or social fitness of a witness. Let me repeat that. When fact is on your side, you can be confident. My pastor used to say, truth is the truth. Whether five years old says so, or 50 years old says so. A great piece of advice my pastor gave me when I became a pastor was, Paul, pay attention to what is said more than who said. And he said, people, including pastors, like to hear what their friends or loved ones to say more than what is said. But if you only listen to your friend's words, you will be biased because they will not say real hard truth to you. You have to pay attention to what is said. You have to stick to the fact. Brothers and sisters, truth and fact are far more powerful than any social status and reputation and our perception. So this is the third and final meaning of Easter. Easter is a compelling force that makes every disrespected, unrecognized, and even marginalized people like this woman, powerful, important agent of God and his kingdom, because they bear the most important fact and the news of a life. Amen. Napoleon Bonaparte once said this, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded the empires. But what foundation did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded an empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Napoleon said it right. Easter created new force based on undying love of Jesus Christ that can transform anyone who believes and accept into their heart and obeys it. This is like real version of Star Wars 3, 7. Do you remember the Force Awakens? You know, Force Awakens. You know, where the scavenger girl named Rey once recognized Force in her, what happened? She became the most powerful Jedi to confront, confront the First Order and defeat the dark, destroy the dark side. That fictional story gives us only temporary emotional joy and excitement. But the Easter story of Jesus Christ 
gives us a permanent ontological joy and change. The concrete factor of an empty tomb, the compassionate forgiveness of an angel's message, compelling force of Easter witnesses can change and transform us today. The good news of a crucified risen Christ is better than any good news that we have been waiting for. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you, are you waiting for dream school? Are you waiting for a coveted job? Are you waiting for the wonderful spouse? Are you waiting for a precious child? Are you waiting? Some of us are waiting for just a return of a normal health. These are all important and great things. I have to tell you, we might not get all of them. We might miss some of them. But today, the Easter good news, the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, give us the best news of all. This news made a heaven shouted and hell trembled and the angels and all the saints praised God. This Easter news is God's invitation for you to know Him and explore and examine who God is. Let us pray.